Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, January 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Supporters of Brazil's former president stormed the country's capital yesterday, and top U.S. banks report earnings this week. The rosy picture might be fading from view. Plus, Gulf nations are sitting on piles of cash, and their sovereign wealth funds want to invest differently than the way that they did in past oil booms. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. That's the sound of thousands of protesters swarming Brazil's capital, Brasilia, yesterday. They were supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro, who lost re-election last October. It's an early crisis for Brazil's new president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who was just sworn in last week. I'm joined now by the FT's Brazil correspondent, Michael Pooler. Hi, Michael. Hi, Mark. So what exactly happened in Brazil yesterday, Michael? So thousands of supporters of the former right-wing president, Jair Bolsonaro, descended onto the capital, Brasilia, for a protest. Now, these hardline supporters of the populist basically don't accept uh, his defeat and the fact that Lula, the left-winger, won. And so they were there to protest about that. And what happened was they ended up invading the three institutions of power in Brazil, the Congress, the Supreme Court, and the Presidential Palace, which ended up ransacked. But Michael, did Bolsonaro have anything to do with these protests? So Bolsonaro isn't even in the country right now. He went to Florida in the US rather than attend the inauguration of Lula, who is his bitter rival. And the backdrop to this is that the election which took place at the end of October was the most polarized in Brazil's history. And Lula defeated Bolsonaro with the narrowest of margins, 50.9% of votes in a second round runoff. Bolsonaro, for months in the run-up to the election, refused to say that he would unconditionally accept the results. Bolsonaro had also, for a very long time, cast doubts on the integrity of Brazil's electronic voting system, saying that the machines were vulnerable to fraud, although he never actually offered any reputable evidence for that. And so what we've seen now is that he has this hardcore base of support who refuse to accept the result. They say that the election was rigged, while providing no evidence for it, and they want the armed forces to intervene. So this sounds a lot like the insurrection that we saw in Washington, D.C. two years ago, almost to the day, which came after then-U.S. President Donald Trump's failed re-election bid to now President Joe Biden, and, and Trump refused to accept the results in that election. Is it fair to compare that situation to this one? There were similarities between these two incidents. However, in Brazil, I would say that this was much more of a symbolic attack on the institutions of power. Unlike in the US, where the protesters were actually trying to block President Biden's certification, there wasn't actually anything taking place in Brasilia yesterday. The Congress was not in session, the Supreme Court was not operating, and Lula wasn't even in Brasilia. There was nobody in the presidential palace. Fortunately, nobody was in the buildings. Um, so again, there, there weren't the, the clashes, people being injured in the way that there was in the U.S. So where do things stand now and what happens next, Michael? So it seems that the police have basically cleared the demonstrators out of the buildings. Uh, as of Sunday evening, they were retaking the main avenue of the capital and moving people out. But local media was reporting that about 170 people had been arrested as of about 9 p.m. local time 
on Sunday evening. But what's interesting here is that there's not only condemnation of the perpetrators behind these incidents, but also criticism of some of the authorities. People knew that all these Bolsonaro protesters were coming to the capital by the busload, and yet it appears that there was inadequate security arrangements put on. Already members of the government have come out and said they're going to take a very hard line on it. And I think for Lula, the big challenge will be how he deals with this politically. He's was already facing a politically divided nation, quite a weakening economic outlook, and now he has to deal with all of the aftermath of this. Michael Pooler is the FT's Brazil correspondent. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Mark. Top U.S. retail banks are set to post quarterly earnings this week. That includes J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. The FT's Josh Franklin says investors have a lot to look forward to and also some stuff to worry about. Over the course of 2022, as banks have been charging more for loans, they haven't really been reciprocating to the same degree when it comes to rewarding deposit holders. So banks are charging more for loans, but their costs of deposits, um, which is the main form through which banks fund themselves, has stayed largely unchanged or not nearly changed to the same degree as the price of loans. So that means their profit margins have been very, very healthy from, from banks. The worry for investors, for bank investors, is that over the course of 2023, especially as the Federal Reserve starts to to slow down its rate hikes, and banks will be under more pressure to reward deposit holders with, with higher rates. Otherwise, they'll lose those deposits. Is there concern about defaults, people not being able to pay their loans back? That is probably the number one worry that bank investors have is what are we going to see from bank defaults for all these loans that you've been doing over the last few years, especially as the risk of a recession or economic downturn is is increasing. So far, the line from the banks is the U.S. consumer is still sitting on excess deposits that were accumulated during the pandemic, and they don't expect those deposits to be depleted until probably the middle of 2023. So that's when they're expecting to see defaults creep up. But they have been provisioning uh, several billion dollars over the last few quarters to try to guard against potential defaults, to cover them when they happen. We'll see if that'll be enough uh, over the course of 2023. So another bright spot that's dimming for banks is the revenue that they see from equity trading. Uh, What does this mean for banks? Equity capital markets have really grind to a halt. So banks' profits have really suffered from that. So this was kind of one of the bright spots for for Wall Street banks that's risks kind of um, plateauing in, in 2023. And I think the, the repercussions of that is just going to be felt in in terms of costs and headcount for, for these big banks. And so I think um, a lot of people in the industry are braced for layoffs in, in 2023. Joshua Franklin is the FT's U.S. banking editor. And it looks like some of those layoffs could be coming within days at Goldman Sachs. That's according to a person familiar with the matter that spoke with the FT. According to that source, it could be 3,200 jobs lost. High oil prices have been a boon for Gulf nations, and their governments are eager to invest all that cash. But the FT's Middle East editor, Andrew England, says... Their sovereign wealth funds are taking a different approach than the one they took after the 2008 oil boom. He joins me now to talk more about this. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Mark. How are you? So, Andrew, it sounds like golf investors plan to do something differently with all their petrodollars this time around. Yeah, I mean, that's what they're saying. So, I think if you go back to 2008, which was the last big oil boom, oil reached about $147 a barrel. 
You saw a big spending spree then. You saw the sovereign wealth funds investing in Western banks, in automakers, buying trophy assets. And it seemed to be a little bit haphazard, um, not always a lot of strategy behind it. Some of the things they did invest in didn't seem to succeed. And they're saying, look, we're older, we're bigger, we're more experienced, we're maturer. And so we are going to be more selective, more disciplined. Okay, so what are they planning to invest in? What kind of companies and industries or, you know, give an example of what one government is looking at, say the Saudi Public Investment Fund or the PIF. Yeah, if we talk about Saudi Arabia, I mean, there's an obvious one, which is electric vehicles. And so the PIF is the majority uh, shareholder in Lucid, the uh, electric vehicle maker. And because the PIF is a shareholder, then Lucid says, okay, we're going to open our manufacturing plant in Saudi Arabia and use that as a uh, a base to both produce uh, electric vehicles and to export. The UAE has tried to do similar stuff in the past. They talked about doing it in semiconductor manufacturing, but they were never able to put semiconductor manufacturing plants in the desert. It was too dusty, it wasn't going to work. So that's never actually paid off. Now the UAE is kind of looking at uh, at different areas, different industries. It's talking more about technology, uh, life sciences, and finance. Okay, so not much having to do with oil. Is it fair to say that Gulf sovereign wealth funds want to diversify away from oil? Absolutely. I mean, governments in the region have been saying that for 15, 20 years now. And of course, the other key thing about Saudi Arabia is it has a much bigger population than other Gulf countries. It's a young population, and it's about trying to find young Saudis jobs in the private sector. Traditionally, most Saudis have gone to the public sector, the state, and that's been a burden on the treasury, and it's you know it's not sustainable. And if you've got to diversify away from oil, you want to try and create new private sector industries where you'll be providing jobs for future Saudis. That's part of the plan. And that's why you know, this boom comes at an opportune moment for Saudi Arabia, because Prince Mohammed and his government is driving this very ambitious diversification program to overhaul the economy, create new industries and modernize the kingdom. Andrew England is the FT's Middle East editor. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.